Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Shining Scholar Education Podcast where we talk about secondary English and language arts tips, strategies, and resources. We'll also share the ups and downs in the wonderful world of teaching. I'm your host, Charlie, and I'm a teacher creator here with Shining Scholar Education. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello again, my friends, and thank you for tuning into this episode of the podcast. Today we have a very, very special guest, Mr. Dave Myers from Teachers Connect, which I came across on Instagram. And I just fell in love with everything they were doing for the teaching community. They're really out there helping teachers and letting us know that we're not alone and fostering a sense of community and support uh, to help us be the best teacher we can be. Uh, If you'd like to introduce yourself, Mr. Myers. Yeah, good afternoon. My name is Dave Myers. I am the CEO and co-founder of Teachers Connect, and I'm a former classroom teacher, and I'm really thrilled to be here. Charlie, uh, you and your team, I think, are doing amazing work in um, highlighting the work of classroom teachers, highlighting your own work, and making sure that teachers get a a great chance to learn from each other. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much, Dave. That that means a lot. Uh, And yes, I I feel like uh, we're each kind of doing our own little part and serving the community as a whole. And, you know, it's just a beautiful thing when different people with different talents and abilities come together to to make it better as a whole, you know, that whole concept of synergy. Absolutely. Great. Well, can you start off by giving us a little background uh, about yourself? Uh, Sure. Well, um, I perhaps was one of those really, I don't know, either lucky or geeky people. Uh, (laughs) When I I graduated high school, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and that was to be a teacher. Um, but I figured I'd want to teach at higher ed because I thought that's where the intellectual challenge would be. And fortunately, nothing wrong with higher ed, but fortunately, while I was in school, in college, I took a semester off and I got a job as a paraprofessional in a grades three and four classroom with, for kids with severe behavioral and emotional issues, uh, here mm-hmm. in Boston. And, it took no time for me to understand there were few things more intellectually challenging than trying to get or really trying to prevent these 12 little eight and nine year old boys and they were all boys in this class uh trying to prevent them from really beating the stuffing out of each other every day because that was um that's what they i don't know that's that's what they, at least initially, that's what they wanted to do. And um, so I rearranged things after that great experience. I loved it. I rearranged things in my academic schedule, went back up to school and uh, became an elementary school teacher. Um, did that for six years, taught middle school for five. I got my license to become a principal and I was a union leader during that time. I, I was the chair of the negotiating team for the our teachers union for either five or six years mm-hmm. and all of that was just that was an amazing um each of those experiences were were really powerful and amazing so that's kind of the um the start that's that's my professional background mm-hmm. and then um so during that time i think one of the one of the funny I, at 23, all 23 years old of me, I thought I was going to be a great teacher right away, of course, like every new teacher should, right? (laughs) Right, right. The reason we go into this is because we're certain we're going to be the one to get the kids to love 
the scientific method or the or you know to love a piece of literature whatever it is we are certain that we're going to be great at it right away and i was pretty certain at 23 that i was going to be a great teacher of liter literature and of writing right away and in my first year of teaching i was teaching fifth grade it took mm -hmm. me really you know all of 17 minutes into my career to understand the fact that i was reasonably competent and reasonably confident as a writer myself meant absolutely nothing <laughs> in terms of reaching the the varied uh writers in my first classroom um and i realized i had a lot of learning to do it was probably the the smartest self observation or piece of self reflection I've made in my in my um, professional career to understand I just really had no idea what I was doing when it came to teaching writing. So oh, that's, that's some deep insight. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of painful insight actually, um, <laughs> <laughs> because you know, like I said, we all we all go into this with with um, self perceptions that that we're going to be the one to to make the difference in students lives mm -hmm. and i realized very early on that i wasn't going to be making very many differences in students lives particularly around the way that we were working on writing so i got very interested in getting better and fortunately early on met with a couple other early career teachers who were great doers i was at that point kind of a ruminator mm -hmm. um I was a, I was fortunate enough to hook up with a couple other teachers, a husband and wife, actually, who were also early in their careers. This is in the mid nineties. And they had started this summer writing program. Uh, it was called the Writers Express. And they asked, you know, did I want to join them? And it was an incredibly, it was a, a, um, first of all, just so fun. We did things like it was, we were working with middle schoolers in Boston. Mm -hmm. We did things like salsa dancing, um, gospel singing, rock climbing. We toured a fortune cookie factory in Chinatown here in Boston. Mm -hmm. And we did all of those things to basically take away if you, if you teach, if you, if you or any of your listeners have ever taught writing to students, one of the biggest chorus cries you hear is, I've got nothing to write about. Amen right yes yes <laughs> and so we were able to say you're 13 years old you just stood up on a stage and did a gospel singing solo <laughs> or you're 13 years old i just saw you dangling back and forth on a rock face i think <laughs> you've got something to write about <laughs> right right <laughs> um and so so that was how that 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 camp that camp was my summer job for seven years. Uh, and really what we did each summer is we would take some learning from the summer, bring it back to our classroom, apply it in the classroom, tweak it again for the summer. And, you know, we went through that cycle for, for, for a whole bunch of years. And then it got to the point where um, the kids started going back to their schools, the kids at the summer camp and ranting and raving 
about this really fun, really exciting writing camp. <laughs> and <laughs> and I think the adults looked at them, you know, I can imagine they kind of like cocked their heads and went, really? Um, <laughs> because we really had a range of kids. There were some kids who were there because they were better writers than I could ever hope to be, um, you know, already at 12 years old, they were incredible. And then there were some kids who were there because, you know, it was under threat. You either do this or you go to summer school. Um, so we had really quite a range of kids and not all of them were very positive about writing, but what they were describing to their teachers was, you know, we, we didn't know it then, but now that have more of an understanding of learning science, it was, it was very powerful. What they were describing was, Many teachers, and you've probably had this experience, Charlie, you know, like a, a cocktail party or something where, where um, people say, oh, I'm not a writer or, or yes. I'm not a math person, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So for some people there, it's like a, it's a writing is a toggle switch. Either you are or you are not. Right. And right. And so, and what, what these kids were expressing to their teachers was, was something quite different. They were saying, yeah, writing is really hard, but I got some good practice this summer and I feel like with a little bit of work, I can get a little bit better. Wow. And yeah, right. It was this, this the, um, the possibility of incremental progress. Mm-hmm. And as, as you know, that's a difference maker in um, the way, particularly a struggling student or a struggling learner, it doesn't have to be a, um, a formal teacher-student relationship, if, the, if a learner has this sense, this, um, the possibility for incremental progress, they're much more likely to make effort, to fail, uh, to try again. Uh, so it was, it was um, very powerful. That's amazing. So it's like uh, some of these, like you said, not necessarily students, but learners in general shifted from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset in the sense that, you know, that they kind of think, okay, I'm not that great now, but I'm getting better and I can get better. That's a, that's a huge difference maker, like you were saying. Exactly. And, and they were finding some joy in it. You know, we, we were, we were helping teachers and helping kids find some joy in it, uh, even if it was one really powerful verb, uh, you know, one one hilarious piece of description, even if the rest of the piece wasn't so hot, just just helping kids just find a little joy in it and helping teachers uh, also find find ways to, to bring out that joy. So yeah, it was it was a big deal. And and yeah, I think you're right. This was this was before um, or at least before the the notion of a uh, of um, fixed mindset um, and Carol Dweck that I hadn't I hadn't been introduced to that yet. But mm-hmm. I, but you're right. That is what was happening. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So even before the concept, you know, was formally labeled or books were out or anything, uh, th- these kids were experiencing it. And, and I can only imagine how that ripple effect carried on to the rest of not only their academic lives, but their personal lives. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. A lot of the kids that, that, um, that came to the camp, one, um, 
they would often describe that the camp, the summer camp, and I'm sure there are all kinds of reasons for this. You know, it was summer. We weren't grading them. There, there were no high stakes tests or anything like that. But they did often describe, you know, this is the place where I feel like I fit in. I don't have to be, you know, um, strong or tall or good at sports or, or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. other ways people fit in. Mm -hmm. um, but they felt like they, they had a, they felt comfortable in the, in this community of writers and adventurers. It's pretty powerful. Wow. Wow. That's great. And and that's a, a fantastic environment for learning to take place, you know, where they feel comfortable to make mistakes and, and, you know, in quotations fail, but fail yeah. forward and keep growing. That's amazing. That's right. And, and, and so interestingly, that same mentality applied to the adults in this, in this program, because especially in the beginning, we were really making it up as we, as we went and we were doing all kinds of wild experiments with because because it was summer and this was before no child left behind and and here in the boston area it was there weren't any high stakes tests really at that mm. point so we were free to experiment and we did and sometimes we our experiments you know failed miserably and sometimes we hit on something really wild and we were experimenting with all kinds of things like you know, how many times a day can kids write and for how long at one time before the quality of the writing drops off and how frequently should they get feedback and how much feedback and what kind of feedback. We're experimenting with all those kinds of questions. And mm -hmm. um, it was an amazing learning experience for the adults. And, and one summer, we decided to formalize it as a learning uh, experience for adults. And we were able to um, convince one of the local, we, we ran the camp on, at local universities and, and, um, on the campuses of, uh, of local universities. And one summer we were able to convince one of those universities, Simmons College, the School of Education there, to, um, to allow us to do a graduate education course and use the camp as the, um, as the class, basically. Um, wow. yeah, so we, 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 um, hired teachers. It was a job for them. They got paid and they got, I don't remember, three or four graduate credits for a course that was called, it was not a, a title that rolls off your tongue. I think it was differentiated writing instruction to close the achievement gap, something oh, like that. <laughs> yeah, it's so, a mouthful. <laughs> yes. Um, but that was, so we started using the camp as a um, really a professional development site for teachers. And in doing that, that forced us to create a curriculum. And then we started getting calls from school districts saying, you know, do you do professional development? Do you have a curriculum? And we said, sure, we can do that. And mm -hmm. started doing it. And, and again, this was, you know, I was still teaching at this point. Um, but, uh, summers, weekends, evenings, doing some of this, uh, professional development, curriculum development, writing work. Um, and it got to a point, I was 11 years into my teaching career. I was loving teaching still, but I was ready for a new challenge. I was about to start applying for principalships. Um, 
my my daughter was born. There were a whole bunch of you know kind of changes happening, mm-hmm. and we suddenly got requests for um, can you do uh, can you provide curriculum and do professional development a series of professional development workshops and coaching sessions for you know two hundred teachers in Springfield, Massachusetts, or uh, I think it was 60 or 70 teachers in San Francisco Unified. Um, and suddenly there was an opportunity here that was more than what we could manage as a side gig. And in 2003, I took what I thought was going to be a one-year leave of absence before starting, um, uh, you know, before applying for principalships. And that one-year leave of absence <laughs> continues today. Wow. Wow. Now, I'm sure you had mixed feelings about leaving the classroom, but also being excited about this new project and adventure. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't really have mixed feelings because I didn't think I was leaving the classroom. Um, I really did expect it it was an adventure. It felt like an adventure. Um, It was, it was, you know, help. The, the Writers Express, this nonprofit, help, help uh, create a formalized curriculum and professional development model, help it go national. And that part, yes, was an exciting adventure, but I really did expect that I was going to be back uh, the following year. Um, I never expected to, you know, to sort of start a whole new career path at that point, but that is what happened. Wow. And can you tell us a little bit about that moment, that decisive moment when you realized I can't go back to the classroom? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, let's see. I think it was, I don't know that there was a moment. I think it was just, I really was enjoying what we were doing. Mm-hmm. I loved working. I was incredibly lucky. Uh, to be working with the people I was working with at the Writers Express, they were they were all um, incredible teachers. They were they taught me a lot about entrepreneurialism and risk taking. Mm-hmm. Um, we had amazing discussions, sometimes you know, kind of goofy arguments about how to approach a concept of in writing or in or in literature. It just was really incredibly fun, exciting, stimulating, challenging. And so I don't know that there was a moment, Charlie, when I was like, you know what, I'm not going to go back. I think it was more like, I guess there was a, there probably was an operational moment where I had to tell my district, I'm, I'm, I'm not coming back after my leave of absence, but I don't Mm -hmm. remember it being, it, it felt fairly, it definitely felt like the right thing to do because I, I still at that point was like, you know, I'll, I assume I'm going back and I, but I want to do this for another year. I'm really enjoying this. I'm getting one of the most powerful parts of it was that I got to go into other classrooms all over the country. Uh, I had spent 11 years in my classroom and I learned a lot, but being in other classrooms in all kinds of districts was just an amazingly exciting learning experience. And so I don't know, I, you know, there was, there was, I'm sure some reflection, but I think I was just so caught up in the excitement with what I was doing that, um, 
I didn't mourn it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and in a way, you know, you were now teaching and on a on a huge scale, you know, on on a global stage. I want to say because your reach, from what I can tell, is you know multinational. Well, yeah. So that that all, all everything I've talked about is is really a, a prelude to um, it. It is connected because it's all part of the past, uh, mm-hmm. but it's really a prelude to to where I am now with uh, Teachers Connect and. Um, I don't know. I can. Would it be helpful to explain uh, the the connection between that that early part of my career to where I am today? Yes, please. Okay. So with the Writers Express, we were we were a small nonprofit. We were constantly struggling for funding. We were all teachers, uh, entrepreneurial and risk taking, but but at least at the beginning, didn't have a whole lot of business experience. And, and I think, frankly, we were so excited by the learning mm-hmm. uh, that we didn't have the, 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 the business sense at that point to understand what excited us didn't necessarily excite <laughs> other people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and what we found, you know, so thrilling about a piece of literature or a way to approach writing didn't necessarily excite other people. We had to figure out better ways of, of communicating it. Um, and so we were, you know, we were always struggling and it got to the point, um, let's see, my, my colleague then, Deb, she was, she she was running the organization and doing doing the fundraising work, and I think she ran into um, or in in her networking, she said, you know, you should talk to so and so, he'll love what you're doing, and she talked to uh, she talked to his name is uh, Larry Berger. She talked to him mm-hmm. and he said, you know what, I love what you're doing, and I could make a don- donation, but actually we're looking for something for for the kind of organization that, that you guys have built um we we love your approach to writing you didn't start with or i and i think he said something like your approach to developing a writing curriculum and professional development to go along with it is similar to the way that good software developers develop software which is to say you didn't start with an answer or or um, an approach, you started by identifying a problem mm-hmm. and you did all kinds of experiments and all kinds of iterations trying to solve that very specific problem and sharpening the definition of the problem each time you did it. Mm-hmm. And he sort of said, we love that and we're trying to get into uh, content and we want to start with ELA and I don't want a donation. We want you to join us. And so in, wow. in, yeah, no, it was a, um, a, a great opportunity. And in 2009, we ended up, the, the nonprofit, the Writers Express, ended up being acquired by um, a company that at that point was called Wireless Generation. Uh, they were based in, in New York, in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So um, that was, a, that was a, a great opportunity. And then about 13 months later, in 2010, 
wireless generation was acquired by news corporation, Rupert Murdoch. Um, and Rupert Murdoch came in and said, take everything you know about the visualization of data, which was one of the things that, that wireless generation was great at. Take everything you know about technology, which again was, uh, and the use of technology in education, which was another strength of theirs. Um, mm -hmm. Take everything you know about the common core standards, which which we had been um, working on and, and were in the early stages of, of that point. Take everything you know about how to motivate teachers uh, with through professional development and through practice in the instructional writing and reimagine teaching and learning. And you've got a four year runway and don't worry if the if the market's not ready for what you imagine. Um, so this was, wow. yes, it was an incredible opportunity to, to um, it was my own personal introduction to visual designers, user experience researchers, um, uh, coders, um, academic researchers. It really just was, uh, an amazing opportunity, and it was the Wild West. The specific project that we were working on started with, you know, nine or ten people in a corporate apartment in in Brooklyn, and within about eighteen months, between employees and contractors, there were, I think, at one point, about five hundred people working on it. It was, wow. um, yeah, really remarkable growth and really amazing learning for me personally. Um, Go ahead. Did you want to ask? I was uh, just going to say that's incredible. In eighteen months, that much happened, and and I mean, was it was it almost like uh, too good to be true? Did you have to pinch yourself to see the dream was coming true and just growing? And well, yeah. I mean, uh, like often, I never had a. I don't think I had a um, too many moments to reflect on on how lucky I was. There were times mm -hmm. I was commuting back and forth on the train between Boston and New York for a couple of years. So there were some times on the train where, where I guess I had those pinch yourself moments, but I knew it was unique. And, and again, you know, the people I was working with were just so interesting and talented and um, just bent on making a difference in young writers and readers' lives. And and that part was was just yeah that that was the kind of pinch yourself material, um, and and but now we had resources we had the the resources of a Rupert Murdoch company, and mm -hmm. there are perils with that which I now know in retrospect, um, but there are also incredible opportunities, so um, yeah it was it was really a great opportunity. That sounds amazing. And, and you know, uh, having the title of CEO is is something that I think a lot of people really admire. And, and uh, unfortunately for a lot of them, you know, they, they see too many obstacles or they think it's out of reach. And uh, now that you've told us a little bit about your journey to becoming CEO, can you think of any advice you'd have for other educators with similar aspirations and goals? Sure. And, and also, just to be clear, um, I was not... I. Um, I was not CEO of that company that I've described. Um, that was that confusing. Maybe I should clarify this. 
Uh, yes, please. I'm sorry. I might have made that assumption. Yes, please do. Okay. Yeah, no. So that company, um, I was not, that is not the company that I founded. I was not CEO of that company. Um, I was involved in some amazing um, product development, experiments, digitizing, um, ELA curriculum pretty early on um, in a really unique way. And no, I was there for about four years. And, and what happened was um, I was in classrooms all over the country piloting this new technology. Um, and it, what it was was ELA curriculum, really powerful ELA curriculum delivered to students and teachers via tablet. And my work, I was in front of all of our pilots. Uh, even, you know, if the software didn't work so well and the hardware didn't work so well, the curriculum wasn't totally finalized. One of the um, big pieces of advice I would give to, to, um, to teachers who are thinking about things, about making some sort of leap into, um, into an area outside of the classroom, like you, Charlie, have done with your colleagues, one of the most important pieces of advice is what you're you're never gonna, you'll never achieve your vision. Uh, your, the, your, what, what you do, what your product is or what your service is, is never gonna be that perfect version of your vision. Uh, even mm -hmm. if 40% done, 60% done, whatever it is, get it out there and start getting feedback on it because, um, it's gonna, you're gonna learn so much and you're gonna have to adjust your vision by getting it out there and by getting students and kids to use it. And that's exactly what we were doing. And what I saw in my work in front of all of our pilots, what I saw over and over again in every kind of classroom that you can, ima you can imagine was, it didn't matter how um, uh, exquisite the curriculum was, or sorry, it didn't matter how exquisite the literature was that we chose for the curriculum, and, and and we did choose, you know, amazing pieces of literature. It didn't matter how beautiful and intuitive the interface was on the device, and they were uh, beautiful, if not always intuitive. Um, and it didn't matter how many times we tested the the analog version of the lesson plans in classrooms all over the country. The difference maker in how these lessons went was, guess what? the skill and the outlook of the teacher and mm -hmm. i started realizing started seeing a couple patterns one was we might be pressing on the wrong you know choose your metaphor the wrong lever the wrong button curriculum matters of course it's important uh you don't have teachers having to create their own their own curriculum all the time but the difference maker is the teacher and mm -hmm. So that was one pattern that, that I saw over and over. And another pattern was I started working with teachers. I start, I was getting older and the teachers that I was working with, the, the 20 something year old teachers at that point were much more willing and likely, first of all, they were, um, they were much more likely to seek out answers to their questions on social media in, you know, on the internet in places like that. Mm -hmm. uh, they were also much more willing for whatever reason, and I have my theories as to why, but they were much more willing to say, 
to raise their hand and say, I'm really struggling with this. I need help. Uh, you know, there, there was, when I was, at least in the school that I was in, in the, in the, when I began my career, there was the sense of, you gotta be stoic. You, you know, you're, you're in your classroom. You gotta deal with whatever comes. No one expected me to be great at it right away, but mm -hmm. I, the expectation is you, you deal with it. You figure it out. And it seemed like with these younger teachers that I had been working with, there actually was a sense of, actually, no, I need a, I need, I need a community to help me work out this problem even though I feel like I'm the only one dealing with it. So those observations made me realize I, I do like what I'm doing, but I would really like to focus on the teacher side of it. And I ended up leaving that company. It's now called Amplify. And I decided I'm either going to find some people who are really interested in this problem of teacher, teacher isolation and teachers seeking community, or if I can't find the right kind of people or organization, I'll found one, and I ended up founding Teachers Connect. Wow! Wow! Okay, so so I think you just have a keen eye for for uh, seeing the problems that are there, and then being creative in, in brainstorming different solutions, and then that whole concept uh, as a teacher of you know monitor and adjust and monitor and adjust, and just like you know you can write the perfect lesson plan, but once it's executed, you see oh. You know, you I need to change this or this, and go with the flow and see where it leads you. And sometimes, you know, that's some of the best discoveries. That's exactly right. And and I mean, you said it really well, Charlie. That that most teachers do that constantly. That mm -hmm. monitor and adjust, and adjust, check and adjust, monitor and adjust. That it, that is always what happens. And and um, you you realize. There's a, you know, I don't know, a group of kids who hasn't understood the way you explain a particular concept. And so you adjust, you, you reiterate. And, and yes, it's just, a, it's another version of that, that I, I've learned while teaching, I think. And I think that uh, piece of advice you gave for teachers, uh, you know, with similar aspirations to becoming CEO or any other, you know, entrepreneurial project they may have of, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't going to it doesn't necessarily have to look like you had it pictured in your head, but you do have to, you know, start something or do something. And that goes back to a quote that I've repeated several times on the podcast, but I feel like it it really you know, it holds so much truth. It says, uh, I forgot who said it, but it's like, you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to be great. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and I think that's, uh, that's something that uh, you've really lived through your businesses and, and different uh, projects that you've worked on. That seems to be like a operating principle for you. Is that right? Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't have um, said it so eloquently. Um, but, but yes, absolutely. I, whether it was in my teaching or in the nonprofit or now in this, uh, you know, with, te with Teachers Connect, it's absolutely true. I mean, um, in fact, I have come to expect that even, the, even though I'm, I'm prepared, I've worked hard, I've talked to a lot of people, the early versions of whatever it is are, are going to have all kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm, de definitely, definitely. And can you think of another piece of advice if you had to boil it down to two things? Can you think of a second thing for teachers out there with aspirations like yours? Uh, yeah, I guess the second piece of advice is talk to a lot of a lot of both talk to teachers 
And if you haven't had business experience, like I had not at that point, it's really important. And in fact, even if you have had business experience, I think it's really important to find people who can be, who can share their experience and advice around business. Um, and, and, and by the way, I don't just mean, cause, cause sometimes teachers will hear me say this and they'll think, oh, well, I'm really good with a spreadsheet or I'm really good with numbers. Or they'll say the opposite. I'm terrible with spreadsheets or terrible with numbers. And that's really not what I mean by business experience. That's, that's, of course, if you are good with a spreadsheet, great. Um, but in the very beginning of your business, most likely you're not going to be worrying too much about spreadsheets and, and, you know, doing, doing, um, doing budgets and numbers and things like that. What you need to worry about is getting feedback on whatever your product or service is. So yeah, get, I think, um, finding some people who can, who can give, give you good feedback and advice on how to get your, whatever your thing is, your product or your service or your idea out there so you can begin capturing feedback on it. That's great. And and I think that ties back to uh, one of the principles I think that, you know, I've learned from my mentor teacher way back when I first started teaching that uh, I'd never forgotten. And uh, he said something to the effect of, you know, the greatest teachers are always great students. Don't ever think just because you have that title of teacher that you know everything, because that's the quickest way to not improve. And, you know, that that really has stuck to me. It's like and and I'll tell my kids, you know, when I don't know something, I don't know something or I'm studying something else. And I think a lot of students have this perception of teachers like, oh, you're a finished product. You know, you've (laughs) learned everything you were going to learn now. You know, fill me like a vessel with all your knowledge. And it's like, no, we're both growing and learning all the time. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. And so uh, unless you had something else to add to that, Dave, I was going to ask about uh, how has Teachers Connect been affected by COVID-19? Yeah. So let me let me start by just giving a quick rundown on on what what we were aiming, what we were aiming to do at Teachers Connect from the get go. Sure. Really, our goal was to make sure that teaching is never again a solo activity. I just, you know, we saw over and over again people, young teachers, when they they would hit an instructional challenge and they would go out to YouTube or to Instagram or Twitter. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of teachers just, we, 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 did a, we did an early study, early in Teachers Connect, and basically asking teachers, you know, um, what, do you, what, are, what are your experiences, particularly early career teachers, what are your experiences? And one of the one of the um, patterns that came through was this sense of, and, and this really came through with with um, novices and veterans. This sense of I I feel alone. And people were actually using. There's a lot of dating language that people were using. We spoke to one woman in she was in rural West Texas. So you know better than I do what what that area looks like. It was it's the way she described it. She was, you know, it was in a very small district in in a, in a very rural area, mm-hmm. and she was a teacher. She said she was a fourth grade teacher, and she said she had like I don't know twenty seven students, and she said I've got nineteen boys, and she, she was like their testosterone is just running rampant, 
And I know I've got to do something different this year. And she saw on YouTube something about um, Legos and, and robotics. And she said, this looks great. Um, and she wanted to try it. And, and she looked around her school building and she said, I don't have a, a peer here. There's no one like me that's willing to experiment like this, that wants to experiment. And then she started using language like, but it's a big sea out there. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> got to be a soulmate for me. Like literally using that kind of dating language. And of course she was right. There are other people, fourth grade teachers like her, who are interested in figuring out how to use Legos and robotics to get their kids, regardless of whether they're boys or girls or what whatever the ratio is, Mm-hmm. She just wanted to experiment. And we just heard that kind of pattern over and over again. And that's why we started Teachers Connect. And in a, in a way, we think of it as kind of like a dating site for teachers, except we don't match them based on their romantic interests. We match them based on the instructional challenges they're having. That's great. So, that's great. yeah, no, it's it was an amazing piece of research. It was just great to, to be able to... Um, speak with all those teachers and, and really uncover these patterns of like, you know, we, we, we created some design principles out of this research. Like one was people wanting to see their ripples, you know, as you, you know, you throw a pebble into a still pond and you see the ripples. Mm-hmm. Well, people wanted to know, they wanted to feel like I'm having an impact on other, not just kids, but other teachers. And we had, we had novice teachers saying, you know, thank you to my veteran colleagues who keep feeding me curriculum. Really appreciate it. But don't forget that I've got something to offer as well. And, you know, they wanted to be able to see their impact and they wanted to be able to ask questions without feeling judged. And so these are, mm-hmm. these were all of the principles that drove our work. Um, so if you want, I can transition to COVID and, and how COVID in, uh, ha, uh, has really impacted what we do, um, unless you have other questions. No, no, that that's great. Yes, because I can imagine uh, a, a lot of your meetings or the you know work that the teachers did with each other. A lot of it was face to face. I imagine. Yeah. So, um, Teachers Connect, the, the Teachers Connect network is we we the face to face work is incredibly important, but the, mm-hmm. the network as itself is online. It's a website. It's a web community, an internet community. And as you said, it's international. In, in any given month, about 20% of the activity comes from outside of the U.S. Um, so what happened with COVID, when COVID hit, you know, mid-March, I don't know what it was, what, what what was it in your, was it mid-March in your area when schools shut down? Yes, it was right in the middle of the spring break. And so we were on spring break and we all got messages saying, you know, don't come back. Don't it's going to be a while. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. So yeah, it was March 13th up here. Um, but anyway, mid-March, suddenly schools shut down and there's not an expert in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, there are teachers who have been teaching in, in fully remote schools, and there are students who've been students in fully remote schools. But every one of those teachers raised their hands and said, I'd like to do this. And every one of those students and families raised their hands and said, I'd like to do this. And presumably they got the hardware and the software and, and some instructions, some, some 
instruction on how to do it. Well, that was a very different situation, right? Um, all of a sudden you had millions, tens of millions of students and millions of teachers who were in this um, situation without a choice and there wasn't an expert there. And some teachers with, with very legitimate uh, personal and professional reasons, you know, sort of froze or weren't sure what to do. And then there was a group of teachers that said, yes, <laughs> this is my opportunity to try and I, I can ditch the district standards. I can try out some of the technology I've been wanting to try out. I can try out some of the approaches I've been wanting to, to try out. You know, there was a group of teachers that was relishing this moment. Uh, mm. as a teacher, obviously, not everything else that came with <laughs> right, it. Right, right, right. Um, and so, and we started hearing this in the, in the Teachers Connect community. And we thought, you know, we've got to get the work. The, there were people doing really amazing things right away. As you know, Charlie, just there were teachers all around the country and really all around the world just doing, being incredibly resourceful, creative, and we want to make sure their voices got out there because A, we want to give them the recognition they deserved and B, there were a lot of other teachers who were looking uh, for, for those techniques. And we started, we did the first one at the very end of March. I remember my wife's birthday was the first one, March 29th. Mm -hmm. um, we did a series of what we called uh, open mic nights. The, the series was called Coronavirus Rx for Ed, and they were open mic nights. If you're familiar, are you familiar with the open mic concept at a comedy club or a music club? Yes, yes. Okay, so this was the same thing. These were uh, classroom teachers. They were not professional consultants or professional development deliverers. These were all classroom teachers. That was a requirement. We gave them three questions. Uh, question number one was, what is the instructional problem or the instructional challenge you're seeing? Question two was, what have you done to address it? And question three is, what are you seeing so far? Well, you know, what are your observations so far? And we gave them that little framework. They filled in an op application. They answered those three questions. And then we gave them five minutes to step up to the virtual open mic, uh, present their their answers to those three questions and then they had two or three minutes for q a and we did usually three or four of those in in an hour and they were amazing or or i guess more precisely no just about all of them were amazing i mean it's open mic right these right uh, these people were teaching during the day and didn't have a lot of time to prepare and rehearse and things like that um but what happened was our participants started writing to us and saying, you know that, that uh, teacher you had on who talked about how to uh, get kids doing collaborative work, even though they're not in the same place, could you have her come back on and explain exactly how I can do that same work in my classroom? Like have her give us the instructions. Oh, that's so, awesome. So like an encore performance almost. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And what was happening is that those participants, you know, in that same um, put it out there and adjust, 
put it out there and adjust. It was that they were giving us feedback that never would have occurred to us. This goes back to that, that point I was making of get it out there. They were giving us feedback on what they really wanted and needed. Um, and what was going to make this, the, these webinars better for them. Mm-hmm. So, and what they said was, we need a fourth step, add a fourth question. And that is, how can you, or, you know, the answer to it is, what, what are, these are the steps that you can take in your classroom to um, apply it in your teaching situation. So we went back to a few teachers and they were totally excited. You know, we proposed, we said, a couple of people have asked, do you want to do this? And they said, absolutely. Came back on, we had a couple of people come back on. And then again, people said, that was great. Um, and I'm glad you recorded it, but could you make it kind of like a recipe that we could just follow and give us a few ways that we can modify if we teach older kids or younger kids or, um, you know, kids with, a, with a lot of ELL students or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so we went back to these brilliant teachers and said, how about if you create like a 10 minute video? Just, you know, use a screencast, use, um, you know, samples of student work. Use what you've learned so far. Just create an instructional video. And they did. And we, we um, put those videos out to um, uh, some of the teachers in our community. And they said, these are great. And we said, you know what? There's something here. Um, there are all these teachers out there with amazing ideas and amazing approaches to really important instructional problems. All of them could use some additional um, income because they're teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an, an audience that we think is interested in this. We have a way to reach that audience. How about if we set up a way for teachers to create these instructional videos, we sell them, we use our platform, our community to sell those, those instructional videos. We know they're high needs. We know they're, they're short. They're, none of them is more than 20 minutes or between 10 and 20 minutes. We know they're on a really important and pivotal instructional challenge. How about if we give the teachers a chance to sell those videos and give them half of the revenue um, that is generated uh, from our sale? So that is, we, we, we call it grab and grow. Um, and it's, it's called that. Hopefully it, it, uh, it's obvious, but, but just in case it isn't, the idea is you take what the teacher has presented in this instructional video. And if it's a Wednesday, on Thursday, you can start using it. And it's going to begin to make you a better uh, teacher around that particular instructional problem right away. Maybe you and your kids are going to need some time, you know, to practice and get better. But it's, it's not the kind of thing that takes a summer to plan or even a week to plan. The idea is learn it today, start implementing it tomorrow. Wow, that's great. And and the portability and accessibility to these videos is, I think, a key concept that, uh, you know, is just tremendously beneficial to teachers because, you know, if they're working and then going to school after uh, class or they have kids or whatever, and they can maybe get 30 minutes in, you know, the night before, there's their professional development, you know, and they can implement it, like you said, the next day and, you know, uh, learn from it, grow from it. So that grab and grow uh, title fits perfectly, I think. 
Yeah, that that's and and that is exactly the notion, Charlie. You you um, you said it beautifully. That is exactly the notion. And the only thing I would add to it is one of the things that was really clear as we did the the research and asked people for feedback when we put you know when we put out the initial videos. They mm-hmm. said everything that you just said, and one other very important thing, which was these have to be these have to be classroom teachers no i've got nothing against consultants um they said but i want people who've worked on this since COVID. i want people who can tell me this is what you should expect to see when you're doing this online or these are the these are the technology challenges um that you might face with this piece of software that that I've just described. They they said, yes, consultants are great, but I want practicing teachers who are learning as they go, just like I am. And so that's another, you know, really important piece of this. We have had, you know, it's been hard. We've had a couple of consultants who seem great, who have um, I think presentations that would would be very powerful and relevant to teachers. And we've had to say, you seem great, and what you're what you're proposing is important and relevant. But we are uh, w- what we're promising to our um, to our audience, to our community right now, is that these are practicing teachers who are sharing these these uh, approaches. Right, and I think that says you know, a lot about uh, authenticity to your audience. Just like you said, there's nothing like hearing from someone who's in the trenches with you, you know, to use a metaphor, uh, there's nothing as powerful to see that someone, you know, who's fighting the same battle you are, uh, give some helpful information and strategies and things like that. Because I, I feel like that really, you know, adds tons of credibility. And not only that, but you feel that sense of community, like, oh, I'm not alone. And they're facing the same struggles or different ones. And, you know, uh, it's just a beautiful thing to say, hey, watch out up ahead. This is what might be there or this is what I've experienced. And here's, you know, the benefit of my experience. That's just a, a win-win situation. That's right. That's, that is the idea. And the other, you know, the other important win-win aspect to this, I think, is, um, you know, on the, on the, uh, or related to the concept of go for it. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be finished. It doesn't have to be polished. The notion that any teacher, any teacher or, or many teachers could create an instructional video on something that they're working on where they've seen some progress. You don't have to have a master's in, you know, X, Y, or Z in order to qualify to make a video. You don't have to have been state teacher of the year or be NBCT certified to create, to be a creator of the, of a video. You have to have thought carefully about an instructional problem, figured out a, an approach that, um, that looked, uh, that, that left you with optimism and hope and, and you felt like, um, was, was powerful in terms of your own learning and the student's learning. And then, figure out a way to present it. Um, and you don't need to look great on camera, you know, and you, you don't need to be a professional video producer or anything like that. Um, that's, that's hopefully the other win-win that it really empowers 
uh, every every classroom teacher. Right, right. And and for those teachers that might be a little camera shy, can they can they make a video just with the screencast and just show their screen and a voiceover, perhaps, or or would you prefer a face to face video? That's a really interesting question. You know, and and remember, this is this is new. We're we're about two weeks into this right now. And so I'm going to tell you where we are today on that. Um, But, but I also, I'm also going to tell you, we could very well uh, see that we, that we'll adjust this. What we're seeing today is that people really like to see the, not only hear the voice of the other teacher, but to see their face, at least for part of the, the course, Mm -hmm. they really, it's important to, you know, this is all asynchronous. People are doing this on their own time. It's a recorded video. It's not live, but being able to see someone's face and maybe even see them in a in their classroom or in some of the videos, you can see the teacher. We have we've got video of a teacher working with students or a student. Um, that part I think makes it better. It's not a requirement right now that they show their face, but in general, I we think that's um that's going to make the 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 course instructor more relatable to the to the participant right right no and and then personal experience you know we've seen or at least i've seen you know studying stats on youtube and different you know media channels they say you know videos with a face or at least someone introducing something and then going to their screen has way more videos uh you know clicks and then they watch for a longer period of time so there is that human element to you know the face-to-face connection so they can see it's a, a person behind it yeah exactly and and also you know that's a that's the kind of thing it's been really interesting working with our our we call them trailblazers our, our early course creators mm-hmm there are some of them, there's a woman uh, named Melissa Clark, um, who is just, she's been a YouTuber and a, and a really good teacher YouTuber for years. She, I mean, she's got the lighting down, the background down, her voice is incredible. She, she just, she looks amazing as she produces the, you know, her videos. Um, and then there are other people who, who have done this, who said, I'm, I have never done anything like this before. Uh, I'm, I'm nervous. I might even have to, you know, um, one, one woman went out, you don't have to do this, but she went out and bought a, uh, a better mic. Um, and she just, one of the things she loved about the process was learning how to do, how to create video and how to make sure a light is shining on her face, not from behind her. Um, and how to, she learned how to use, um, screencastify. You know the mm-hmm. uh, software to be able to make a screen recording. So we really it it's been um, I think a great for the right kind of person. I think it's a really exciting learning experience. I bet I bet and those skills. Um, excuse me, I really feel like are you know transferable to everything, especially now with remote teaching and distance learning. Uh, you know those skills to be able to handle a camera and know how to record your screen and all that. You know everyone benefits from it, not only the teacher but the students. That's exactly right, and and certainly, uh, yeah, things like the lighting uh, is is I mean just I think so important for for remote learning. 
Right, right. And and can you think of any uh, of the most memorable moments in the history of Teachers Connect? Like even with the open mic or the grab and grow, anything that really kind of sticks out and super special? Wow. Yeah, there are so many. That's a great question. And uh, there are so many that jump to my mind. Let's see. Um, we had a teacher a couple years ago at one point who came on I'm, tr I'm trying to remember she said the mother of one of my students just got picked up by ICE uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement uh -huh. um, what do I do um, and there was first of all it was an incredibly you know, it's a powerful question, right? Uh, because you know the the event she was talking about is obviously devastating uh, to that family, um, regardless of what you what you where you are where you lie in the political spectrum. It's devastating to that family, um, and this was, by the way, was a, a teacher of kindergarten of a kindergartner. So the mother of her student got got picked up by ICE, and she just she was she didn't know what to do and she came on the teachers connect and just got incredible everything from just validation support empathy to really actionable steps for her to make sure to take um in this really really challenging situation um so i would say that that was memorable wow uh, one of the one of the presentations, there, there were there were many memorable presentations in the open mic sessions. One of them in particular, uh, this was a, the, the one in particular really stood out. It was a a duo. This was we had a couple we had a couple duos in the open mic sessions, uh, and in fact, we the 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 duos we had were in service teachers with their pre service, you know, their student teachers or their interns. So we had this one duo from the Bronx. From they, they were teaching. I think they said it's the the poorest zip code in the country. So these are kids that wow. are that are really struggling. And this was um, a veteran teacher of history, high school history, and his student teacher who was, uh, I think, a college senior. And they what they presented was. There, so they in in New York City in um, in the public schools they were using Google Classroom, and Google Classroom is definitely better on um, on a, a lap a laptop or or a desktop. Mm -hmm. And but what they what they figured out they were getting initially like twenty five percent attendance rate in their classes, and they started looking at the analytics the um, Google Analytics in, uh, um, of the, of the um, when kids were logging into the um, Google Classrooms and how long they were staying, what kinds of devices they were using. Mm -hmm. And what they realized was that most kids were logging in on a mobile device. And oftentimes it was in the evening or even, you know, these were high school kids, even late into the night. Mm -hmm. And so that was really powerful information. And they called up a couple of the kids and asked a few questions. Uh, you know, why late at night, why mobile devices, and found out, you know, late at night is when it's quiet, 
I don't have a mo I don't have a laptop to log in with. And they took all that information and and moved off of Google Classroom onto Google Sites, which is just a website, but it's a responsive website so that it it'll it works quite well on a mobile device. because uh, most of the kids actually had a smartphone and were able to uh and they had Wi-Fi and they were able to um use their phones uh to access the 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 google sites and they started posting things and also running some live classes in the evening and at night and initially i don't know where they are now but initially they saw their attendance rates jump from 25 percent to 75 percent just because they looked at that analytics data and made some adjustments and yeah so that that I'd say is another really memorable experience, you know, learning experience. Uh, that was that was from these these um, the open mic sessions. Wow, that, that's great, and I, and I love the fact that they met their audience where they were. You know, instead of sticking it out with Google Classroom and trying to find a way to get everybody, you know, laptops or desktops or whatever, they made the shift to Google Sites. To be able to meet their audience where they were and, and fill that need, uh, and, you know, and I'm sure it wasn't easy. I'm sure there was a learning curve to all that, but you know, look at the benefits from 25 to 75 percent. Is that right? That's yes. At that point, that was what they were seeing. That's huge. Oh, it's yes, it's phenomenal. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. And you know, those uh, stories of success like that, I think. A lot of times as teachers, we feel overwhelmed with too much data and what do we do and so many options and this and that. And it's almost like, you know, um, pick one thing or, you know, whatever works and yeah. then go from there and monitor and adjust. You know, it's that same principle. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was it was just it was simple and elegant and brilliant. And That's as, wonderful. As were, you know, so many of the of the of the presentations. Wow, and, and and is uh, the grab and grow and open mic uh, open to anyone, or how? How if, if, for example, if one of our listeners wants to participate or learn from them, how would they go about that? So the open mic sessions are over for the time being. We did our last one on. Um, we we actually did the last two were about teacher self care. We did those in July. Those are all. Um, those are all online. You can find them all. And on the teachers in the Teachers Connect community, and you can access them all for free uh, at teachersconnect.com. The grab and grow courses, um, you can preview all of them for free. That's at grabandgrow.teachersconnect.com. So all of the courses, you can get a preview and a rundown for free. There's one course that is fantastic that is um the teacher requested the, the the course instructor her name is joy kerr she requested that her course be available for free for for anybody and by the way joy is a middle school teacher in the chicago area who has written a book called shift this she's um she's a a a classroom teacher who's a national leader on shifting to student-centered learning She's done a lot on Genius Hour, uh, Passion Project. Her course is amazing. It's, it's about an activity called Heartbreak Mapping. And that entire course is free. And again, you can get that at grabandgrow, 
www.teachersconnect.com and all the other courses are, are up there. And right now they're all, um, they're all, because this is, again, we're about two weeks into this. They're all being offered. They're all on sale at $9 and 75 cents right now. And they're all somewhere between, you know, 10 and 20 minutes long. Great. Well, we'll make sure to link to those uh, websites uh, in the show notes for our listeners. That way they can access those easily. Uh, and, and that's great information. That just sounds like it's, uh, you know, the perfect storm for just helping teachers in, in so many different ways, you know, and, and I just think that's a beautiful thing you folks are doing. Oh, thank you. And, um, you know, really the brilliance and the beauty is in these classroom teachers who are, you know, taking additional time to create these videos uh, share something powerful. Uh, our role is really just to make sure their work gets, gets uh, seen and heard and so that other teachers can, so that really every teacher can become that vision of themselves they had when they went into teaching. They want to be that memorable teacher. And our work is just, you know, it's in our name, is connecting these incredible classroom teachers who are taking a lead, taking a risk, sharing something they've learned. We want to be able to connect them with other uh, classroom teachers throughout the world. We just published our uh, our first course, two teachers from Argentina, who, um, who they did a great course on um, approaches to, for, to work with ELL, young ELL students, pre-K to grade two, basically to make sure the, the remote learning is engaging and fun. And it's a, it's a great course. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Before we wrap up, Dave, is there anything that you'd like to uh, say to our audience or where they can reach you or any last comments? I just want to say thank you to you, Charlie, and your team. You are also doing incredibly important work at encouraging uh, teachers to follow hunches, follow dreams, follow crazy ideas. So thank you for that. And absolutely, if if people are interested, you can reach me at Dave, D-A-V-E, at teachersconnect.com. And I'm really happy to uh, talk about Teachers Connect or Grab and Grow. Or if you've got questions about, you know, an idea you have, if I can be helpful, I will try and be helpful. Great. We really do appreciate uh, that, Dave, and, and giving away your personal email. Uh, and I'll make sure to link to that as, as well in the show notes so everybody can have access to it. And, and thank you for your kind words. Uh, you know, I, I feel like all of us are doing what we can. And uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's a beautiful effort, you know, through groups and synergy. And it's just a, a beautiful thing, uh, helping teachers grow and by... And, and therefore helping, you know, students grow and just schools in general and education as a whole, uh, I think, can benefit from, you know, like you've said through your experience with so many uh, awesome projects, just growing and, and helping others and then others helping you. And it's just a, a beautiful uh, result. Yes, it is. It's, it's really powerful to, uh, you know, you kind of in the abstract, I've always known that there are incredible things happening in little corners of classrooms all over the country, all over the world. And being able to make that abstract more become more concrete 
is is yes very powerful and important definitely definitely well we want to thank you again uh dave for making time uh in, in your super busy schedule to squeeze us in there and, and i'm sure our listeners are going to find tons of value here and and i'll make sure to link to everything we mentioned here in the episode in the show notes uh thank you again dave please keep changing the world you guys are doing amazing things you do the same charlie you you and your team please continue doing the same and i'll look forward to the next conversation we know i'm not in the classroom anymore but i know that you classroom teachers i know that classroom teachers are working incredibly hard and incredibly resourcefully and are feeling racked with guilt that you're not able to right now reach your students in the way that you expect to reach them and hope to reach them and we see you doing that work we see you making that effort you are making a difference and despite you know what you are often hearing in your communities and on the media we got you and keep going because like always we need you definitely very well said dave and i saw a video if i could just squeeze this in i saw a video on social media i wish i could uh, remember the links it was a video of a teacher uh, and she said, you know, I'm reaching out to all these parents, students, just making sure they have everything they need, you know, supplies, materials, curriculum. She said, I got an email from one of my kids. He was high school, I think. And he said, you're taking care of all of us, but who's checking in on you and mm. taking care of you? Wow. And she started crying. She said, you know, it took someone to say that because so many times, you know, we're giving and giving and giving and giving. And, and she was like, you know, it just took one kid to even just ask, how are yeah. you, miss? You know, yeah. and so I think that compassion for people in our profession. And uh, you're still very much, even though you're not uh, in the classroom anymore, Dave, you're still very much a teacher at heart. I mean, it just, it's palpable, your passion and, and your dedication to, to the profession and education as a whole, you know, you're still leading that, that charge and fighting the good fight. So we appreciate everything you're doing. Thanks so much, Charlie. Thank you, sir. Same, same to you. Uh, thank you again for tuning in, folks. Uh, that's it for, for this episode. And I'll make sure to put every, all the info, all the links, everything in the show notes. Uh, we appreciate you teachers. Keep doing what you do, changing the world. And goodbye for now. Thank you again for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, share, and consider leaving a review. It really does help. We make resources for teachers by teachers. Check us out at shiningscholareducation.com and at our Teachers Pay Teachers store as well. We'd love to hear from you, so email us at shiningscholareducation at gmail.com to share any questions or topics you'd like on the show. Thank you for all you do, teachers, and keep changing the world.